0: Well friends, today is Commitment Sunday here at Shubriness Ness and Thorpe Bay Baptist Church and it's good to have you with us. This is a Sunday each year where we reflect together on what God is doing in and through us, where we celebrate each other and where we think about who and what God is calling us to be and to do. As part of preparing for this morning, I looked back at Commitment Sunday 2020 and little did we know what the year ahead would have in store for us. But the spirit of what we shared together at the end of January last year was just right, partly reflecting as we were on God's words to Joshua, that you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. And we've had to do a whole host of things differently in this past year. We knew at that point that God was calling us to something different, to set out on a new path, and we've done that. Sometimes through deliberate decisions and actions, and in other ways because we've been forced to go that way by circumstances, not least the coronavirus pandemic. And so where are we today? What might God want to speak into our life together? What might a commitment to God and to one another look like in this moment. By the late 1990s, the owners and workers of the Nepp Estate in West Sussex had been persevering for a very long time. Like many farmers, they'd found making a profit extremely difficult and for some years impossible. The owners, Isabella and Charlie, had tried everything. They'd rationalised, intensified, diversified. They'd tried to compete with larger industrialised farms and all it was doing was sapping their morale. Isabella says that ultimately it was the farming itself which undermined us. After 15 years, we'd made a profit in only two They carried a huge burden and responsibility, having inherited the estate that had been in the family for over 200 years. The pressure to keep things going was immense. By the end of the 1990s, those involved in the estate had a growing sense that their farming practices were in fact at odds with their environment. The soil could no longer sustain the intensive agriculture The soil had had enough and the debts were mounting. And so in February 2000 they moved in a totally different direction. They sold the dairy herds and the farm machinery and they put the arable farming out to contract. Around this time they discovered a particularly ancient oak tree in the grounds. Now I'm told that an oak tree left to its own devices grows for 300 years rests for 300 years and then graciously declines for the last 300 years of its life. They also realised that introducing some hardy breeds of grazing animals, Tamworth pigs, Exmoor ponies, indigenous deers and the like, would create forces of natural disturbance and help the landscape to recover. So the ancient park at the centre of the Nep estate became a place where nature would be allowed to take the driving seat. No goals were set. Instead, natural processes were permitted and encouraged. By 2002, their change was already so obvious. And in particular, one of the things they spoke about was the ambient noise that they hadn't even realised they had missed. The low level surround sound of thrumming insects, something they hadn't even realised they'd missed. The owners spoke about walking through knee-deep fields of wildflowers, disturbing clouds of butterflies, and the NEP estate is now recognised as one of the most exciting wildlife conservation projects in the whole of Europe. So the process of allowing nature to take the driving seat, like at the NEP estate, is called rewilding. A term that entered our dictionaries officially in 2011. Our appetite to plan and to manage and to contain and to control has been part of what's contributed to our environmental crisis today. And rewilding is one of the ways in which people in various places are seeking to make a change. What's all this got to do with Commitment Sunday? Well friends, I think the whole concept of rewilding is a profound and helpful metaphor for what God is calling us to do over the coming year and beyond. You know, creation always has so much to teach us. As Richard Raw writes, it is our first and our final cathedral. Nature is the one song of praise that never stops singing. I think the whole concept of rewilding speaks to some of the challenges that we face as the church. What began as a spirit-empowered movement can so easily become hindered by excessively complex and risk-averse plans and structures. The Christian way becomes domesticated and we lose the adventure of faith. You see, there are times where our vision calls us to perseverance. But there are also times when it calls us to abandon conventional wisdom and embark on something different. And it can take great courage to stop and change course. If there is in the midst of the pain and struggle any gift for the church to unearth over the recent months, it's been that in many ways we've been forced to stop. Normally, When we face challenges, we just set about working harder. We intensify our efforts. But I don't think simply to try a bit harder and do a bit more is God's message to us in this moment. God sees that we're tired, that you're tired. And God offers to lead us in the way of Christ, who tells us in Matthew 11, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, rewilding the church is not about implementing our best ideas with extra passion. It requires slowing down, a conscious setting side of preconceptions and a determination to discern what God is doing and what our role within it might be. Rewilding is not conventional. If we can communicate every step of what's going to happen next, then it's not rewilding. By definition, a rewilded future is unknown. We cannot neatly and totally convey the vision or the outcome. You can't know how it will all unfold. The outcome of rewilding is complex. The landscape becomes more multidimensional. The biodiversity becomes richer. There is new life birthed in the ecological freedom that rewilding allows. And new life is what we're all about. We want to see more freedom, more hope, more forgiveness, more joy, but that doesn't come in neat and tidy plans and packages. All of this is especially hard if you like things to be ordered and neat and explainable in a chart or a diagram. It's hard if your answer to questions or challenges is to work harder, to put more time in, to organise more, to write more lists. And there is a time and a place for all of those things, of course there is. And we have plenty of challenges and questions for us as a church to work through together. We always do and we always will. But friends, what if the pathway towards transformation in the months ahead is not about doing more, but perhaps about doing less. What if we need to make things a bit simpler? What if we can create more space to experience God, to give time and thoughts to the ways God breaks through into our lives? How easy is it for God to interrupt your day and to reshape your life? Last week, I went for a walk with my friend Louise Williams, who's the vicar at St Andrews and St Peter's here in Shrewsbury. It was great to chew the proverbial card to reflect on church life. Her company is always a joy. And as we walked around the garrison together, I was focused on our conversation and where we were walking. And then Louise stopped and encouraged me to stop noticing lots of small birds in the bush that we were walking by. I'd never have seen it if she hadn't pointed it out to me. I was focused, I was determined. But in that, I was missing what was happening around me. And that interruption was a great blessing. It was a joy to see those birds so close up to witness something beautiful in our local environment. And in our reading this morning from Mark chapter 5, Jesus is interrupted. He's on the move. He's heading towards uh, healing Jairus's dying daughter. There is a sense of urgency. They're hurrying. And there's a crowd bustling along with them. And in that crowd is a woman who's been bleeding and badly for 12 years. Her flow of blood hasn't stopped, but her flow of money has. And she has nothing left. But she has heard about Jesus. And she finds him and comes up behind him and she touches him. And as she does that, two things happen immediately. Her bleeding stops. She knows in her body that healing has come. And Jesus is aware that power has flowed out from him, although he doesn't know why. It stops him in his tracks, it interrupts his flow, his purpose, his haste, and it turns him around. Who touched me, he asks but surely it's impossible to tell with the crowd around them. But Jesus knows that there is someone whose touch has brought him to a standstill. The woman falls at Jesus' feet. Could we even imagine perhaps Jesus kneeling too in this moment so that they're face to face as they have this brief conversation? And what a conversation they have. In fear and trembling, she tells him her story telling him we're told the whole truth. And truth is a theologically heavy word in the Gospels. It's usually the domain of Jesus. But here she presents the whole of it to him. And in return, this woman whose name we still do not know is named daughter by the Son of God. She is part of God's family. There's so much significance in this encounter But for this morning, I want us to particularly note the interruption that it brings. As he is in so much of Mark's gospel in particular, Jesus is on the move. He's got purpose. He's got direction. He's taking action. Others are responding to him. But here, all of that is disrupted. The initiative in this moment belongs to this woman. She has found Jesus, she has reached out and is healed before Jesus is even aware that she's there. Her faith is seen in her movement, her approach, her touching, her telling. She creates a moment, a space where the power of Jesus flows, where distances and divisions are bridged and worlds are brought together. The daughter of God is not a plot device in the story of Jairus's daughter. We must take her seriously. She's interrupting the story in a wonderful way. She literally stops Jesus in his tracks and Jesus goes with it. He allows his own power to be interrupted and intercepted by her. She interrupts the drive that there has been so far in Mark's gospel to always be doing something, to be marching to the next thing. And this encounter, notice, Jesus doesn't do anything. His power is bound up in the plan and the activity. His power isn't bound up, rather, in a plan and activity. Here Jesus is responding to her. The dynamics have been changed. And Jesus is a willing participant in the disruption. The whole truth, the healing, were found in something that changed, an unexpected encounter. We miss so much when we're anxious not to miss anything. A significant part of embracing where God is at work around us is only possible if we can banish the FOMO, the fear of missing out, and instead more and more find peace and security in Christ. It's the challenge Paul gives to the Colossian church when he writes, let your roots grow down into him and draw nourishment from him. And that's not just for each of us as individuals, but for our life together too. A church community that embraces that peace that comes from being bound up with Christ is neither anxious about its survival or its resources. Instead, it rejoices in its radical insufficiency not wanting or needing to be and do everything, but instead embraces its role as a treasure seeker in a world uh, where we don't shine so bright as to dazzle our neighbours, but more like an ultraviolet torch that seeks out and revels in what would otherwise go unnoticed. It's not about having to create the kingdom of God, but instead it's about us together Discovering it. God is continually present, independent of our efforts. And reminding ourselves of this is crucial to becoming a less anxiety driven community. If the kingdom of God is already among us, then the calling of the church is not to grow the kingdom or build the kingdom or bring the kingdom, but to see, to know, and to receive the kingdom and then to live as people who know that reality. Our calling now, more than ever, is to refocus on following Jesus, and together with others, allowing the unpredictability of the Holy Spirit to guide and to empower, to make us more who the Spirit knows we are. We do not endeavour to do new things, simply because yesterday's ways are past their sell by date however we will find ourselves doing new things because god is always doing something new our creator is still creating our calling is not to be attenders or consumers but accomplices and co-creators of christ partners with god and that's why the coming years will demand bold and persistent experimentation. We will need to try some new things, but not any old thing, but what is inspired by the spirit-led journey of lament and prayer. We'll celebrate and we'll build on what goes well, and we'll celebrate too that which doesn't go as we hoped, because in that we'll find a source of rich learning and a springboard for what comes after. What we cannot do is only be willing to step out when we know exactly what will happen next. God is still writing our story. And in the words of Corrie ten Boom, we must never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. If we want the peace that passes all understanding, we need to give up our right to understand. You know, friends, life on the Nepa state was inspired by the ancient things that used to be at its heart. We're still in the middle of this open-ended story of what Jesus is doing in the world, and in many ways the book of Acts must continue to be written by Christians in every age and context. But at our heart, the call for us for the year involves all sorts of new things, but it'll also involve us discerning them as we devote ourselves to the ancient things, to prayer. To justice, to giving, to service, to worship, to breaking bread, to hospitality, to Christ in it all. So together, I invite you. Let us let the Holy Spirit rewild our church, bringing new life through the things of old. We could stifle it if we attempt to manage all that God is doing in this moment. Instead. We must follow Christ wherever he leads us and we can do that because we know whose hands hold the future and so I invite you today to bring all of the faith that you have to all of the Christ that you know to find peace and to find hope as we follow him together. Thanks be to God. Amen.